All right. Good morning, Faith Church. It's good to see you guys today. Awesome, 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 man. Thanks so much for being here, being a part of our services as we celebrate our Savior. We're glad you're here. Hey, listen, I just want to tell you guys this. Listen, I love candy, therefore I love Easter. Right? Isn't that, I mean, kind of that's the connection, that's the correlation for a lot of us, especially me. I didn't grow up in church, didn't grow up going to church on Easter Sunday, didn't grow up going to church anytime. So to me, Easter was all about, uh, uh, you know, dyeing some eggs, coloring some eggs, and it was all about some candy. And over the years, I just got a little bit of a sweet tooth. Anybody here got a sweet tooth in the house? Like, I mean, you, you don't just like candy, you, you got to have candy. And so waking up on Easter morning, going down and found, finding out that the Easter bunny, I mean, right, Santa Claus has competition, that the Easter bunny showed up and left a basket full of goodies, right? There are some things that we learned to look forward to. Some of my favorites are right here in this bag. In fact, uh, for you that, again, like candy, right, you can never go wrong. Like, this is the staple of Easter baskets is just jelly beans. I mean, like, that's the standard bearer of a good Easter basket. How many of you here like some jelly beans? Hey, listen, tell the person next to you, tell the neighbor what your favorite color is. Come on, real quick, tell them, tell them. Tell them what your favorite color is. Anybody here like the black ones? Some man, there's just something about it. I like the pink ones. Anybody here want some jelly beans today? Right down here, Darren. Here's another one. Listen, you can't have a great Easter basket without a chocolate rabbit. Now, you may never get past the ears, but if you eat the ears and you, right, you deform a rabbit, like you've done, Peter's not happy, but you're happy. Anybody here want a chocolate rabbit? Blake, for your bride, if you guys can pass that back. It may not make it to you, but... Now, here, here's one. Listen, I, I discovered these a couple years ago. Changed my life. Cadbury eggs. Woo! Y'all discovered them too, huh? Yeah, Cadbury eggs. These are the caramel ones. Any of y'all like Cadbury eggs? Right over here. It's right up here. I don't want to kill anybody. Some of, some of y'all will sue us for a new building, and it'll be called, like, Mr. Jones Church. <laughs> here's one right here. Now, listen, this, this is marketing genius. You got to love this because these are good any time of the year, but right around Easter, all they do is change the colors and market it for Easter, and it's good because I'll eat it any time of the year. But how many people here, like, peanut M&Ms, but the Easter kind? The Easter kind, right? I mean, they're just amazing. I got to throw it. I, it's coming that direction. Someone better... Jeremy? Oh! Now listen, one more here. Now these, you either love these or hate these. Like there's no middle ground. These things are as divisive as Donald Trump. Peeps. Like, right? How many people here hate peeps? You would never eat a peep. Help me somebody. How many people here are all about some peeps? See, it's funny because everybody's hating on peeps, but they sell like 100 million of these things every season. Everybody's like, I don't like them. Who's a little girl? Raise her hand. She can come get them. Here's one more. This is it. This is the best of the best. This is the cream of the crop, right, are the Reese's peanut butter eggs. I don't know what y'all are reaching for. I just said this is the cream of the crop. I'm only giving one of these. These things are sold out. I'm going to kill somebody. Y'all get ready. Here it comes. Now, let me ask a question. Listen, listen, listen. So those are some of my favorites. Those are some of the things I enjoy. How many people, be honest, I, I know this is, there's a lot of adults in here. This is the adult service, I'm sure. In the back, it'd be 100%. How many here woke up today, and you either bought for yourself or probably your spouse or significant other got you an Easter basket? How many people got an Easter basket this morning? For real? Listen, man. We're going home. Are you kidding me? How many people want an Easter basket today? 
So I got an Easter basket right up here. Who wants an Easter basket? Y'all got to want this. Got to want this. Right here, right here. That's you. So who, who else wants one? We got a couple other ones. How many of you, you got to raise a hand. We got a couple guys bringing them down here. There's one. There's one over here. And there's one over there. How many people else want an Easter basket? You're getting a basket. You're getting a basket. You're getting a basket. Everybody's getting. No, you're not. No. I was, chan- I was channeling Oprah there for a minute. But hey, listen, listen. I, let, let's be honest. You know, I like candy. I like, uh, I like eggs. I like, um, in, in a little while, I'm going to celebrate the resurrection with my family. And we're going to have ham. And it's going to be a great time. I love family dinners. But hey, at the end of the day, This is not about candy and this is not about ham. Today we have the privilege to celebrate Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, who lived perfectly, who died bodily. Come on, church. And ultimately he rose from the dead. And because he lives, that's why we live. That's why we're here this morning is to celebrate the reality of Jesus Christ rising from the dead. That is an amazing truth. Maybe you've never heard that before. Or maybe you've heard that so many times, like it doesn't really mean a lot to you. But today we celebrate the fact that 2,000 years ago, a handful of people went to a borrowed tomb by, the guy, by a guy by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, where Jesus, just several days earlier, he was buried. They walked to the tomb and found that he was not there. In fact, an angel met him and said, why do you look for the living among the dead? And Jesus just began to show up, and for the next 40 days, he showed himself alive. The Bible says not just to the disciples, but at times to crowds of over 400 people. And what this thing is called today, it's not really the church. We are the church, but really it's a movement of people declaring not a doctrine and not a theology and not a church denomination, what we stand for and what the message in the first century was, not a standard or a way of living or rules of things to do. What they declared is there was a man who lived and who died, and he's alive again, and because he lives, our lives are changed forever. And that's why we're here. So, hey, listen, we're going to continue, though, as we finish up today, the series we started several weeks ago entitled Follow Me. Now, I know a lot of you are visiting here today. We're glad. We're, it's a privilege that you are here as our guest. We hope you enjoy it. I want to welcome those who are watching online, man. Thanks for joining us. We, uh, I got a testimony. We had people in Italy today. We had soldiers in Italy watching the first service. It's amazing that we can be a blessing all the way across the world. But today as we finish up this series, if you have not yet been here, uh, you can always catch these messages online. But basically what we've been saying is this, is that when Jesus started his ministry, He started his ministry. He didn't go alone. He took a group of guys with him. And in the process of getting these guys to go with him, he started with a very simple invitation. And the invitation that he gave, and we find this recorded over and over again in Scripture, was this simple invitation when he approached somebody like Peter, like John, like James, like Andrew, on and on. He simply said these words, come and follow me. And basically the invitation was this, hey, it's not an invitation to change yet. It's not an invitation to start doing anything. It's not an invitation to stop doing anything. Jesus basically just invited a group of men to come and spend time with him and follow him because he knew if we would follow him, that if we would spend time in in the word following him, if we would spend time experientially allowing God to move in our life, that you would follow only so long and eventually you would believe. That you can't follow and really understand and see who Jesus is and see the miracles that he did and see and hear the things that he taught and not eventually believe that there is something profoundly unique about Jesus Christ. And so he said, hey, just follow me, and if you'll follow me long enough, you'll believe. And ultimately the goal is, watch this, so some of you are just following, and if you're just following today, you just have questions, you're kind of just investigating, it's okay. 
But I want you to know the goal is for us to believe. That you reach the conclusion that Jesus is who he said he is. That we know what God is like because Jesus said, I've come to show you a picture of who God is and what God is like. But our ultimate goal, our ultimate calling is not to be just followers and not even just to be believers. Our goal is to be a disciple. That as we follow Jesus, our rabbi, our teacher, that our goal is to align our life to his. Our goal is to walk and live like him. Our goal is to treat people the way he treated people. Our goal is to be a light in this dark world. And so that's ultimately the goal. And so through this series, we've been following Jesus through some, to some pretty unique places. We followed Jesus in week one to church, which Jesus kind of lost his mind in church. It was awesome. Uh, we followed Jesus to, uh, to the beach. We followed Jesus uh, last week to your house, which... Yeah, you just need to get that one and listen to it. Today, today we're going to follow Jesus to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, this is the place probably I should have had some violin music cued in because, right, when you hear the garden, it kind of gives this suspicious idea that maybe a picnic is going to break out. And that's not what happened at all. In fact, when Jesus, he leaves and he ends up in the Garden of Gethsemane, I'm just telling you, it just got serious. Everybody say that, it just got serious. When he moved into the garden, it wasn't there to have a picnic. Things just got serious. Now, if, you don't, if you're not familiar with that term, let me, let me introduce you to it. The term, it just got serious, is like when things are kind of casual and all of a sudden they go to another level. When things are, are kind of casual and it's not a big deal and all of a sudden things get extreme. Emotions get extreme. Feelings get extreme. The energy in the room gets extreme. That's what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. It wasn't a picnic. It just got serious. Let me help you understand it just got serious. Anybody here remember you when you were a kid? I grew up, I have two older brothers. When we were young, all three of us were in the same room together, the same bedroom. I look back and I think, good night. I don't know how we fit in there. But in the same room, how do you remember when you would go to bed at night and your parents, your parent or parents would tell you, hey, you need to be quiet, you need to go to bed, and you'd be cutting up and making noise, and they would say this, don't make me come up there. And you would keep cutting up and you would keep, and I remember like just laughing and, and cutting up with my brothers and having fun until dad came up there. And when the door opened, it just got serious. Come on, somebody, because listen, if dad had to come up there, you were going to regret that dad had to come up there. And so when dad walked in the room, it just got serious. Anybody here ever remember getting called, sitting in class? All of a sudden, your name comes over the loudspeaker and you get called to the principal's office? Come on. It just got serious. Anybody here ever driving down the road, like enjoying the music, right? I mean, you got your head bobbing, songs playing. All of a sudden, boo! It just got serious. You get brand new shoes for Easter and some punk ain't paying attention and steps on them. It just got serious. Right? I mean, that's just how it is. I was just talking about this the other week. So you guys know this. You guys know I don't really love the ocean. But, like, there's something about the ocean. You get in the ocean and you're swimming around having fun. See, I grew up in the 70s. And all of a sudden, something brushes your leg. Woo! It just got serious, somebody. You cut that. It just got serious. See, every time I get, if you grew up, if, if you grew up in the 70s or you actually seen Jaws when it was out, wave at me. You can't get in the ocean and that song not be somewhere in the back of your head. Listen, I keep saying it. Listen, when you get in our ocean, you're getting on their menu. That's just how it is. So watch this. So we're going to follow Jesus today as things get serious. Check this out. In the Gospel of Mark, it tells the story. It says, they went to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. 
Next verse. Everyone read this with me. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So again, moving from, this is the time where they moved from the Passover meal, the Last Supper. Jesus just hung out with his disciples, just had dinner, just had wine and rolls, all you could eat. It was a great time. They moved from there into this place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Bible tells us, again, in this name, Gethsemane, names in the Bible often have meaning and meaning of significance. So just the name Gethsemane kind of tells us the mood of what's about to happen. It kind of lets us in just by the name, just knowing where Jesus is of what's about to happen. Because the name Gethsemane means an oil press, an olive press. That what would happen, this was an olive grove, the way that you would make olive oil is that once the olives grew and had life, you would pluck them off the vine, you'd put them in the press, and you would crush the life out of them. And what Jesus was saying is, hey, what's about to happen? It's not pleasant. It's not a picnic. It's not fun. Jesus said, hey, what's about to happen is I know my mission. See, Jesus was never confused about his destiny. Like one of the number one questions people ask is like, hey, why am I here? Like, what's my purpose in life? What's my goal? I want you to know it was, never, it was never unclear to Jesus. Jesus always knew why he was here. And Jesus knew that, like, this was the time. It was coming to the moment. It kept getting closer and closer and closer and closer. And now was the time that Jesus understood his whole purpose in coming was about to come to a head. See, people say things like this. Hey, Jesus was a great teacher. Jesus was a great teacher. No doubt he was a great teacher. When Jesus taught... People heard him teach, and they said things like this. I've never heard anybody teach like Jesus. People that were teachers their whole lives heard Jesus teach and would say, I never heard anybody teach with such authority. Was he a great teacher? Absolutely. The Muslims say he was a prophet. He was a great prophet. Was he a prophet? No doubt about it. He prophesied and knew the future. He knew what was coming. He understood who God was and what God was like. But he didn't come to be a good teacher. He didn't come just to be a prophet. Was he a miracle worker? I'm telling you, I'm just telling you, the Jesus we serve still works miracles today. He called the lame to walk, the blind to see. Jesus calls people who had blood issues that no doctor could help. Jesus healed them. He calls other people who had died to be raised from the dead. Was Jesus a miracle worker? No doubt about it. But he didn't come just to work miracles. Jesus Christ came with a mission, and his mission was this. He said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus knew, again, the Bible says that during this time he's being crushed with grief. He recognized the same way an olive plucked off the vine, put in the press, that he was being crushed underneath the weight of the sin of this world. He was feeling like mental anguish, and he was feeling physical anguish, and he was feeling spiritual anguish. He knew what was coming. He knew what he was facing. In the middle of all of this, in the middle of what he's about to go through, he tells the disciples, this is, it's almost humorous, it's not, but reading it on the outside looking in, he looks at the disciples and says, hey guys, uh, I want you to keep watch with me, which basically saying, hey, I want you to stay awake. Like, I want you to watch what I'm going through, I want you to watch how I handle it, and not only just watch, but I want you to pray for me and pray for yourself. In fact, Matthew says that he tells them, pray because basically temptation's coming your way. I, I know you don't want to hear this today, but temptation's coming your way. And prayer is a great way to avoid temptation. And so he says, hey, there's some stuff coming your way. I'm about to go through some stuff. Don't fall asleep. Stay awake and pray with me. And watch this. Keep going. Next verse. 
It says he went a little further and fell on, uh, fell to the ground. Read it with me. He prayed that if it were possible that the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. I remember hearing this as a kid, uh, or not as a kid, but as a, as a young believer reading this about Jesus would pray, hey, let this cup pass from me. I thought, man, was, was Jesus like a caffeine guy? Like, did he like a good cup of joe? What's he mean, this cup? He would, it's, Father, let this cup pass from me. Well, the New Living Translation specifically says the cup of suffering. Here's what a cup is. When you read in the Bible, oftentimes a cup is synonymous or it's a metaphor for our life, right? You don't even have to be a Christian. You don't even have to be a church person, but if you're here in America and you've been to a funeral, you probably have heard the 23rd Psalm. And part of the 23rd Psalm is what my cup does what? My cup runs over. Or if you really like, or really King James, it runneth. It runneth over. Like tell your friends, hey, I'm going to runneth and get some McDonald's. See how that goes. It's cup runneth. Here's what it is. So the cup, the cup is symbolic of our lives. And the Bible says your cup can either be filled with blessings and it can be filled with salvation and it can be filled with God's goodness or your cup can be filled with trouble and your, and your cup can be filled with brokenness and your cup can be filled with worry and judgment. It's like one or the other. And Jesus recognized, Jesus recognized that his cup was about to be filled, watch this, with suffering. And here's why. Why? Here's the question. Why would God... Fill the cup of Jesus with suffering. Why? Here's why. It's because God is serious about sin. Now, I know I'm not supposed to tell you that. I know in the American church, like that's, off, like, that's off limits. We shouldn't talk about that. But I want you to know that's the reality and that's the truth, that God is serious about sin. And here's what's funny for us. A lot of times we think, like, we think of a three-letter word but not sin. We think of the three-letter word fun. Because I'm going to be honest, when I was young, when I was out, before I came to Christ, my sin was fun. Help me, somebody. Please don't play church on me. When I was shutting the club down, it wasn't sin. It was fun. When I was hanging with the girls, it wasn't sin. It was, come on, y'all got to help me out here. When I was out partying, it wasn't sin. It was, and listen, if y'all didn't think it was fun, you wouldn't be doing it either. Because our perspective of our sin is this, it's just my life. It's, hey, this is just who I am. Hey, this is just, hey, hey, St- hey Pastor Steve, this is, this is just where I'm at in my life right now. But I want you to know that it's funny because we view the decisions that we make as fun, but God views them as sin. And here's the funny thing is, for some reason, man, we get up in arms when we think God gets upset at sin. But how do you feel when someone sins against you? Isn't it ironic that we get angry if someone sins against us, but we get somehow upset at God if he gets upset because people sin against him? Isn't that odd? And I want you to know something, that God takes sin as serious business. Sin is absolutely serious. It might be fun for us. In fact, the Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season. Listen, some of you guys are in the pleasurable phase, but it's not always going to be that way because God knows not just where sin is, he knows where it leads. I heard someone say it this way one time, that sin will always take you farther than you want to go. It'll always keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll always charge you more than you were willing to pay. That's the reality of what sin is, and that's the reality of what sin does. And so God says, hey, sin is serious business. And so because God, now listen, he's not just going to judge someone else's sin. Because, right, we don't, we, have, we don't have a problem with our sin. We have, we have a problem with other people's sin. If people are living a lifestyle we don't agree, that's sin, that's wrong. They need to stop it. They need to cut that out. 
I want you to know, listen, God's just not upset. It's certain behaviors and certain attitudes. It's the things in your life. It's the sin in my life. And if you think, well, you know, I I don't do that. I don't sleep around. I'm not an adulterer. I don't lust. I don't cheat. I don't steal. I don't lie. I don't covet. That's not me. Then you're self-righteous. And you think you have no sin, and that's the worst sin of all is the sin of pride. And so the problem is we see in our own lives like it's this kind of fun and games, and we're just in a phase, and everything's going to be okay. But say it with me. To God is serious. It's about to get serious. Come on, church. It just got serious. And so Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the reason, man, he felt what he felt is because the justice of God demands to be answered. And so Jesus said, I'll be the one in the entire weight of the world, your sin and my sin, every bit of racism and hatred and bigotry, every lying, every thieving, every bit of covetousness, all of it was put on the shoulders of Jesus and he was crushed underneath the weight of it. And he said, it's a cup of suffering. And in the middle of all of that pressure being laid on him. In fact, the Bible says it got so intense at one minute, the Bible says he began to sweat like great drops of blood. It's actually something true in the medical world. Medical professionals will tell you that the capillaries around your sweat glands can get under so much duress that they begin to burst and you sweat blood. And Jesus in that moment, man, was so overwhelmed. It wasn't a picnic. He understood it was the pinnacle moment of the whole reason that he came to this planet. You say, why would Jesus go through that? Why would Jesus go through it? Watch this. Keep going in this this next verse. Watch this. Then he returned. I love this. Then he returned and he found the disciples. Come on, y'all got to help me out here. Asleep. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Let me just ask you. Let me just tell you. God never asks a question for information. He already knows the answer. Like Simon's like, no, I wasn't sleeping. I was was resting my eyes. (laughs) Jesus tells the disciples, hey, this is real serious business. I want you to stay here and stay awake. And they're like, all right, Jesus, we're in. And people's like, you know, who's got the five-hour energy drink? It's late. It's like midnight. Everybody's tired. Have you ever fallen asleep when you wanted to stay awake? Like it's something funny. It's almost like the more you want to stay awake, the easier you fall asleep, especially, especially as a kid. The area I grew up, there was a little local show. It was called Big Chuck, uh, Big Chuck and Little John. It was this variety show, and they would play B-rated, like, monster movies, which as a kid was the junk, like Frankenstein and, like, Dracula. And I remember, like, every Friday night, I'm like, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch Big Chuck and Little John. And I always remember it would come on, and I never, I never seen the end of Big Chuck and Little John because there's something I would wake up in the morning. Isn't it great to have parents? Remember you'd fall asleep, like, in the living room, and you'd wake up in your bed in your pajamas on? Listen, if you never had that happen to you, you've missed life. Like, no matter how much you would try to stay awake, like, you just couldn't do it. The disciples, they're trying to fight the moment, and they just keep dozing off. It's funny because other people doze off during, like, really important times. Some of you have dozed off during school, right? How many of you have fallen asleep in class? There's a kid I used to fall asleep in my history class every day, and he would always wait. When he would wake up, there would always be a puddle of spit on his desk. That was awesome, right? Uh, Some of you guys have fallen asleep in church. In fact, there might be one of you now. Nudge him. It would make me feel better. Wake him up. Right, there was a girl when I first started going to church, uh, just after the truth, I never heard anything the preacher said for like the first three months because this girl sat in front of us every week and she would come in and I would just watch her head because she'd be like. <laughs> like I just wanted to hold her head up for her. I mean, it just looked uncomfortable. You know, she needed like one of those pillow things you put 
falling asleep in church. But here's the thing, watch, watch, this is so big, is that the reason the disciples fell asleep in the garden is because they failed to understand the seriousness of the moment. I want you to know something, that what was happening, the sin of the world coming upon Jesus was so significant. It was so meaningful to you and me, and you may not realize how meaningful it is. Today to you might just be about eggs. It might be about candy and chocolate bunnies, but I want you to know it just got serious. That Jesus in that moment, it was one of the most serious moments in history because Jesus was wrestling with what should he do. And he kept praying this prayer. In fact, he went back, the Bible says, next verse, watch this. Verse, it says, and Jesus left them again and prayed the same prayers before. He prayed again and said, God, you can do anything. If there's any other way to rescue humanity, God, let do it that way. But God, if you want me to go to the cross... Do you want me to suffer? If you want me to die, then not my will, but yours. Like, why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus face that kind of pain and suffering? Here's why. Because not only is God serious about sin, Jesus is serious about you. Jesus is madly in love with you. Jesus is serious about who you are. Come on, somebody. He's serious about us. Listen, maybe you went to a class and someone told you that, like, this galaxy is just a speck in a huge universe and that this galaxy that's 121,000 light years across, that our solar system is just a speck inside of that galaxy and that in our solar system, planet Earth is just a speck. In the 7 billion people on this planet, you're just a speck on the planet, in the solar system, in the galaxy, in the universe. I want you to know something. In the eyes of God, you are not a speck. You were created on purpose in his image. You belong to him and you were bought with a price. Jesus didn't come for a speck. Jesus came for you and he's madly in love with you. And he said, I'm willing to pay the price because I love humanity. I'm willing to lay it all down because I care about you. I'm willing to go to the cross because I know your struggles and I'm willing to step in the gap. See, Jesus said, I'm willing to take my cup. Watch this, this is so big. He said, I'm willing to take your cup of suffering. Come on, be honest. Some of you here, you got some suffering in your cup in some brokenness, in some pain, in some hurt, in some shame, in some guilt. And Jesus said, listen, I'm going to take what's in your cup and you can pour it in my cup. And I'll take what's in my cup and I'll pour it in your cup. We'll switch cups. You can have my cup and I'll have your cup. Come on, somebody. And that's what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. Jesus took our cup and he gave us his. The why Jesus died on the cross of Calvary was to give us what we could never get on our own. Here's the way the Bible says it. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians. Read it with me. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. It's the, it's the divine substitution. It's the divine trade that God took your mess and gave you his peace. And you just got to take it. All you have to do is accept it. And so you got to keep going back to the story, right? So... Jesus goes, and the Bible says he goes and prays again, and he comes back, and the disciples are sleeping again. He goes, and he prays again, and he comes back, and the disciples, three times the disciples are sleeping. Again, it's like, right, they just missed the seriousness of the moment. They missed how important what was happening right around them. And you fast forward in the story, and you can read this later on your own. Right at the end of the prayer, the final prayer, a group of people show up to arrest Jesus. Like these people show up and write Peter. You, let me go back. Can you go back to the verse with Peter, please? You need to see this. Remember, Jesus says, says to Peter, hey, Simon, why are you sleeping? Go back to the next one right here. This, you got to see this. He said, he said to Peter, hey, Simon, 
Are you asleep? This is so big. Because Simon, his original name, his birth name was Simon. But when Jesus came across him, he said, I'm going to give you a new name because you got a new purpose. I'm going to give you a new name because you got a new destiny. I'm going to give you a new name because you got a new life to live. And he gave him the name Peter, which meant a rock. Everybody say a rock. Like, I mean, he, I mean, he walked around like, can you smell? What, the rock? I mean, like, that's probably what he was doing, right? He's like, I'm Peter. So what Jesus, Jesus seen destiny in him. Jesus seen purpose in him. Jesus seen significance in him. But there's this thing in all of us because we all have like this new possibility in us, but we have this old life. We have this new way to live, but we wrestle with old habits. Maybe I'm the only one, but there's tension in my life between the new me and the old me, between new habits and old habits. Help me, somebody. Between me being the old Simon and the new Peter. Right here, notice Jesus doesn't call him Peter. He says, hey, you're acting like Simon again. You need to quit being like Simon and sleeping. You need to wake up to the reality and be Peter. Like, it was all, when everything was good in my house, as long as my parents called me Steve, but when they called me Steven, it just got serious. Jesus is focused in this whole story on Peter. And watch this. At the end of the story, right, they're praying this, this troop shows up because Judas has betrayed Jesus. This troop shows up to arrest Jesus. Peter whips out a sword and goes Hollywood Ninja on him. Like he was either really good with the sword or really bad with the sword. He cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Like, you know how good you got to be to hit an ear? Or how bad you have to be to hit an ear? Cuts his ear off. Jesus, it's the five-second rule. Jesus picks it up, like sticks it on. Jesus, this is the most underrated miracle in the Bible. Jesus picks a cut-off ear off the ground and sticks it back on a guy's head. Y'all aren't impressed. You must have seen that one this week. So Peter, right, Peter falls asleep during prayer. He loses his temper, cuts off the ear of the, the, the servant of the high priest. Jesus goes from there, and he goes from trial to trial, from Pilate to Ananias to high priest. It's a false trial. It's a sham. They can't find anything wrong with him. He's done nothing wrong, but they want him gone. They want him out of his hair because Jesus is causing a revolt and a revolution. While he's being, while he's being tried falsely, you know what? Peter's doing? Peter's denying him. I don't know him. Second time, I said I don't know him. And finally to a little girl, he cusses. I said I don't know him. And then Jesus is beaten and carries his cross to a hill called Golgotha. And while Jesus is being crucified, Peter with the other disciples, they flee. During the time between that and the resurrection, Peter goes back to his old lifestyle. He was called as a fisherman. He goes back to a fisherman. Some of you here know what that's like to have followed Jesus for a while and go back to your old lifestyle. Here's the most beautiful thing. I've said everything to this, to this moment. Right? Fast forward. Jesus rises from the dead one morning on the beach, on the shore. Peter's out fishing. Jesus shows up. Now think about it. Peter, Peter, Peter slept during prayer. Peter got violent. Uh, right? Peter denied him. Peter ran from him, and Peter went back to an old lifestyle. What do you think Jesus would feel about somebody who blew it that much that quick? Like, I would find somebody else to use, but that's just me. Jesus goes back to Peter. You can read this in John. The way he got called is the same way it ended. Jesus looked at Peter and he said, hey, Peter, come on, man. Come and follow me. Yeah, but Jesus, do you know how bad I messed up? Do you know, man, I've dropped the ball. Man, I denied you. I did not, I even knew you. I haven't acted like I love you, man. The last thing I am is a Christian. I can't follow you. And Peter's like, hey, it's not about you. It's about me. It's not about what you've done. It's about what I've done. I want everybody here to know something today, that there is no correlation between the depth of your sin and the height of God's love. God loves you all the way, 
all the time. In spite of who you are, what you've done, where you've been, he loves all the way. And he looks at Peter, he's like, hey, Peter, come and follow me. And here's what I want you to know today. Because Jesus died for us, because he paid a price for us to be forgiven, because he went to the cross, he died, and because he was put in the tomb and he rose from the dead, here's what I want you to know, that not only is God serious about sin and Jesus is serious about us, I think we ought to be serious about God. I think we ought to be serious about him. Like if all you have is a Sunday morning Savior, you missed it. If all you have is an Easter Jesus, you missed it. Jesus came to give us the gift of life, of value, of meaning, of grace, of forgiveness, of hope, of joy. And it's bigger than a moment, and it's bigger than a Sunday. It's for eternity. And because he's done all of that for us, I think we should get serious about him. I think we should follow him. And so as we close today, I just want to give you these last two things real quick. The cross is God's statement that sin is serious business. When you see the cross, that's symbolic for us as believers. It's symbolic for us as Christians. But you ought to remember that that's where the punishment of God was poured out for all of humanity. But the empty tomb, the empty tomb is God's statement that you are forgiven. Seriously. Seriously. Like you might be here and you're like, Pastor, but yeah, you don't know and you don't know what I've been through and you don't know what I've done. And like I've prayed that prayer, like I've prayed it a hundred times. I can say it in my sleep. And you're no different than Peter. But the empty tomb is God's statement that he loves you. Seriously. You and you and you and you and you and you and you. All of us. He loves us. Seriously. It's not a religious game. It's not a churchy colloquialism. He loves us. Seriously. So I want to pray with you. Father, God, I'm grateful today for what we celebrate this morning. The reality that not only that you died for us in our place, that you took our cup and gave us yours, but that Jesus, death couldn't hold you down. And on the third day, you rose victoriously from the grave to ultimately give us the statement and testament of your love in our life. And so, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name for every person in this room that, God, you would wake us up to that reality. Help us not sleep through the seriousness of this moment, but, God, to know you love us all the way, all the time. Listen, I'm going to pray in a minute. If you're here and you say, Pastor Steve, listen, I, I've never, I maybe have never heard this. Maybe, I, maybe if you're here, you never knew God loved you. Maybe you knew it, but you never really believed it. But today, like you're hearing it and you're believing, you're saying, Pastor Steve, I want to accept God's grace in my life. I want to accept God's love for me. The Bible says we've all sinned. Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of God's glory. The Bible says not only have we sinned, but the Bible says the wages of our sin is death, that what we're going to get paid if something doesn't change or happen is death. That's separation from God forever. But ultimately, Jesus came to make a way for you to experience life and grace. And so all across this room, if you're here and say, and you're not saved, you've never experienced God's hope and God's grace, I want to give you that opportunity. In a minute, I'm going to pray. And if you want to include it in this prayer, you want to say yes to grace, you want to say yes to God, listen, forgiving you of your sin and giving you a brand new beginning today. If you want to include in that prayer all over this room, come on, no shame. I want you to throw a hand real high and say, Pastor Steve, will you pray for me? Today, I want to give my life to Christ. Today, I want to experience a new beginning. Today, I want the hope that he came to bring. I want the life that he came to bring me. I need his grace and I need his forgiveness. Is that you? Come on, all over this room. Come on, no shame. Raise a hand real high and say, Pastor Steve, pray for me. 
Come on, leave him up just for a minute. Leave him up just for a minute. He's the only way. That's why he came. We can't get there on our own. We can't experience it on our own. Lift it up. Leave it up real high all over this room. Thank you, 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 thank you all the way in the back. Thank you all the way over here to the side. Thank you all the way over here to the side. Come on, a lot of hands. Listen, I'm going to pray this prayer. And the Bible says, listen, if we'll confess out of our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, if we'll believe that he loves us, that he died for us and he rose from the dead. The Bible says that by that faith, that grace comes. So will you all pray this with me? Every voice out loud. If you lifted a hand, listen, I want you just to believe God right here. I want you to pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I believe that you died for my sin to rescue me. And I believe that you rose from the dead. And because you live, I live. I thank you for forgiving my sin, for changing my life, and for making me your child. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed said amen. Come on, a lot of hands. Let's celebrate them today.